Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Um, it's great to see a good crowd again. We've had good crowds the last couple of weeks, and it seems like the Lord is really, truly blessing us as we make a comeback in 2021. And it seems like we're still at that point where every week we're adding a few others. And so welcome. If this is your first time back in a while, welcome home. If you're watching us online, welcome home. We're glad to have you as well. We appreciate so many faithful people who have held on to this church family. And we also appreciate the great opportunity that God has given us to be able to connect with some that we may not have been able to connect with before this pandemic. So welcome to you as well. And again, happy Easter. I love this little story. One sleepy Sunday afternoon, the man writes, when my son was five years old, we drove past a cemetery together. Noticing a large pile of dirt beside a newly excavated grave, he pointed and said, look, dad, one got out. (laughs) The father writes, I laughed, but now every time I pass a graveyard, I'm reminded of the one who got out. We're here today because of that one. We're here today because of that one that, as Galen shared, gave his life and shed his blood on the cross for us, for our sins. We're here today because that one spent a few days in a tomb that could not hold him. And we're here today because on that morning, that Sunday morning, that angel said, he is not here. He is risen, just as he said. And now because of that one, we also have hope today. I'm hoping with this Easter Sunday message to remind each of us that one got out. (laughs) But also to ask, what does that mean for us today? What difference is there in my life because of that event, the main crucial central event of human history? That resurrection Sunday. As Galen shared, reading from Romans chapter 6, we died with Christ, we we are buried with him through Christ, through baptism into death with Christ, and we are raised to live a new life. And that is the significance for us today. Up from the grave, he what? He arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. That is the great truth of human history And it is that truth that informs and impacts everything else that happens in our lives. Even a pandemic, Bill, even a pandemic, that's right. Just like that stone could not keep the body of Jesus in that tomb, a pandemic cannot keep the joy and hope out of the hearts of God's people. And we are so very thankful. The cross of Christ and the empty tomb call us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. It's that passage that we looked at last week in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
as our shepherd Ken Culpepper shared during our shepherd's prayer time, that Philip's translation translates that passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, cautioning, warning Christians, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. And Ken is exactly right that sometimes we let that happen in unexpected ways developing that checklist Christianity. And we're going to be looking at a, at a list of good things today in some of the following verses in Romans chapter 12. But we do those things gladly, joyfully, gratefully, humbly, with hope and joy in our hearts. And so we refuse to let the world squeeze us into its mold. And how do we do that? We do that by Romans chapter 12, verse 1. By offering ourselves up as living sacrifices, being willing to give, to sacrifice, rather than to demand our way, we seek to help others on their way. Just as that great ministry, Caring Kitchen, and so many other things that goes on here through this church family. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that sermon from last week on Romans 12, the first part... I hope that you'll go to our website, westerwin.com, and find that social media and resources and click on that live streaming page. Go down to archives and you'll see our previous messages there. This quote from N.T. Wright, he says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. And that's what Romans 12 through 16 is about. Not just about assuring us of our eternal home, although there is plenty of that and we're grateful. But actually the New Testament, including Romans 12 through 16, is about calling on Christians to live a certain way because the tomb is empty. Because the blood was shed. Because we have been raised to live a new life. It is the so what question that the New Testament answers. And specifically, it is the so what question that Romans 12 through 16 answers. Describing this great righteousness that comes from God by faith. Now we get to the part to where we're living sacrifices. Now we get to see what a life looks like that is not letting worldly values squeeze it into its own mold but rather to have the mold of Jesus Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection be the mold that we follow to shape our lives. Jesus' resurrection is the call of God to his church to refuse to be overcome by the evil we see in the world, but rather as living sacrifices to overcome evil with good. And so we see another place today where the church and the Christian differs from the world and is shaped by a different mold. Because the world says overcome evil with evil. Overcome evil with more evil. Overcome evil with a more powerful, stronger evil. Fight fire with fire, right? That's not the way of the cross. And that's not the way of the Bible. And so that is not the way of Christ's church. Overcoming evil. A couple of things from 
this last half of Romans chapter 12. First of all, the good that overcomes evil. If you're talking about overcoming evil with good, which is how this chapter ends, what does that look like? And again, throughout Romans 12 through 16, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us very specific examples. We're a little bit uncomfortable with how specific the examples are. As the lady said one time, he leaves preaching and goes to meddling, and now he's meddling. And that starts in this passage as it continues on from the verses that followed Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He talks about the good that overcomes evil. In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16, this is what he says. Love must be sincere. It must be sincere. It must be genuine. It must be from the heart. It's not put on. It's not something, as Ken said, that is just a checklist item. But it's something for us that's real. It's something that we do. We have people that serve in that benevolent ministry, whether it's on Monday nights when it's our turn for carrying kitchen or in so many other ways, providing food and groceries for people on Wednesday mornings as well, sewing for people. We've seen a lot of those examples already. And there are so many other ways that this church demonstrates true, sincere, genuine love for others. By being a living sacrifice, by sacrificing for the sake of others. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. You say, well, Bill, what is good? What is evil? I, I don't know. For some reason or another, I think deep down we know, don't we? When we're wondering about something, a certain act or a certain belief or a certain practice, I think deep inside we know. Scripture tells us a lot of those specifics and gives us the principles to help us know what to think about the rest. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. It was the message of the prophets, it was the message of Jesus of Nazareth. Romans 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And we saw a little bit of that in the verses that preceded this as we looked at verses three through eight and talked about the different gifts that are given to the church members, the Christians, to build up the body of Christ. As a part of that, we are devoted to one another as a body, just as much as the parts of your body are devoted to the whole body, the unit. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Not only is our love and service sincere and genuine, it is zealous and passionate. We read the passage at the beginning of Romans chapter 10 a couple of weeks ago where Paul warns us that passion by itself is not enough. Anybody can be passionate about anything And we could have plenty of examples of people who were very passionate about something that was very, very wrong and evil. We understand that. And so we realize that, that with that passion, with that zeal, comes that sense of knowledge that we realize through the word of God that this is what God has called us to be passionate about. But that being said, the Christian's life must be filled with passion. It must be filled with zeal. Zeal for God. Zeal for God's word. Zeal for service of others. Never be lacking 
and zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I love verse 12 of Romans 12. It's one of those great uh, summary statements. And if you want to have this one and circle it or highlight it or, or put it on your mirror or something, it will give you three quick steps towards a faithful life. Romans 12, verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Don't you love that? Joyful in hope. The reason we have such joy is not because our lives in this world are going particularly well. Sometimes they are, sometimes not so much. But the reason we have joy is because of our hope. It's a hope that that empty tomb magnifies and announces and shouts with the words and the songs of angels. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. The joy of the empty tomb does not take away from the reality that sometimes in this world we suffer. And sometimes in this world, just as Jesus said would happen, we suffer because of our faith. We don't turn to God and turn to belief in Jesus Christ so that he'll keep us from suffering in this world. In fact, Jesus said, if that's why you're coming to me, wrong. Because in this world, you will have trouble. John 16, verse 33 says, and John 16 and other places, Matthew 10 and others say, sometimes that trouble will be because of your faith. It's during those times when we are called to be patient to wait for God to bring that vindication that we may never see. And he's going to talk more about that in just a moment. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. You've heard me say it many times. The best reason, the best call from Scripture why we should pray are two words. Jesus prayed. If the Son of God prayed, I must, I must. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Verse 13 of Romans 12, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Be willing to give, be willing to share, be willing to be hospitable. To open your home or to open your heart or to take that that person to lunch or to provide in some way some concrete means of demonstrating to them that your love is sincere for them and you truly, genuinely want to help share with those who are in need. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And we'll talk more about that in the second point today. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. That is not the way of the world. That is not the way of many of our family and friends. But that is the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And I've shared about this passage before. And thinking of those two things, rejoicing with those who rejoice, mourning with those who mourn, I do believe that we find it much more easy to mourn with those who mourn, to share in the suffering of others than to share in their joy. And I think that's part of our human nature. It's that whole keeping up with the Joneses thing. If the Joneses don't get too high and don't have much to rejoice about, I can keep up better. (laughs) 
And so while I want to build myself up in order to make me feel better about myself, sometimes that means I'd kind of like to see others not be quite so successful, not have quite so much to be joyful about, and that is wrong. It's very worldly, it's very human, but it's not very Christ-like. And so when we hear of good things happening for other people, we truly rejoice. We're glad for it. We're happy for them, genuinely, sincerely happy for them. Yes, we mourn with those who mourn. And over these past months, we have had much opportunity to practice that one. And we continue to do so. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Be willing to associate with people lower than you on that social scale or, or perhaps be willing to take on the menial jobs, the lower uh, paying jobs, the servant jobs. And we're reminded of what Jesus said was his purpose in Matthew chapter 20. As the disciples were fighting over who's the greatest, Jesus said, you, you're, you're asking the wrong questions. The greatest among you will be whom? The one who serves. The first will be the last and the last will be the first. Because even the son of man, Jesus says, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. We are called to have that same attitude and spirit. Far from being proud and arrogant, but rather being humble and willing to serve. This is the good that overcomes evil today. On this Easter Sunday, 2021, let us commit to living a life that is good. A life that is good. These aren't revelations. These aren't things that you didn't already know. But these are things that the human side of us find difficult at times. We are called to live a life that is good. And scripture fills in the blanks a little bit on what that looks like here and in the chapters to follow and in the rest of the New Testament. On this Easter Sunday, 2021, let us commit to living a life that is good. So after speaking about the good that overcomes evil in the rest of Romans chapter 12, Paul shares the forgiveness that overcomes evil. And this is another hard one. This is another hard one. This is one of the hardest things that we have to do. Forgive those who have done us wrong, who have sinned against us, who have caused us to be hurt. The forgiveness that overcomes evil. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We know it's not always possible. And Paul doesn't say that it is. He just says that as much as you can, for your part anyway, seek peace. Live at peace with everyone. Maybe they won't let you, but you do everything in your power through your words and your actions and your prayers to do so. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, Deuteronomy says. 
says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head, quoting from Proverbs. Do not be overcome by evil, Romans 12, verse 21, but overcome evil with good. That is not the way of the world, but it is the way of the cross. And it is the way of the church. The good that overcomes evil includes the forgiveness that overcomes evil. Evil, And we find that especially hard. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Why? Because didn't your mother always tell you? Two wrongs, what? Don't make a right. They don't make a right. But Bill, my wrong isn't as bad as their wrong. Yeah, I know, it never is. <laughs> never. And their wrong doesn't justify yours didn't justify Jesus and he was the one who actually had the right to do it because he was innocent and blameless we're not don't repay evil for evil be careful to do what is good what is right what is what helps the cause of peace we're looking at a book by Amy Morin on Sunday mornings in our family life uh, center class. Uh, 13 things mentally strong people don't do. And the second of those is this, they don't, mentally strong people don't give away their power. And you know how that we do that? We give away our power when we refuse to forgive. Because we tell that person that has wronged us, you still have power over me because I'm not letting it go. And now they are calling the shots in our lives and whether or not we have joy and whether or not we are at peace, it is their move, not ours. And scripture says that choice should be ours, not theirs. And the only way it becomes ours is if we are willing to forgive, willing to forgive. Why do we not forgive? Well, I don't know. I think the quote is attributed to Nelson Mandela and to others in various forms, but I'll use it this way. Not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. That's what we think should happen. I'm hurting myself. I'm damaging myself by refusing to forgive, hoping that they will suffer. How, as let me put on my Dr. Phil hat or my Dr. Bill hat for a minute. How's that working out for you? (laughs) It doesn't work at all. It just makes me more miserable. And what's more, according to Matthew 6 and Matthew 18 and other passages, it affects not their salvation. I'll talk about that in a moment. Me forgiving them has nothing to do directly with their salvation, but it has everything to do with mine. You remember the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us our sins. What? As we forgive those who sin against us. Pretty important to Jesus that we be a people who forgive. We're reminded of Leviticus 19, 18. The the first place where that statement, love your neighbor as yourself, occurs in Scripture. That Jesus points back to as the second great commandment. And what's the rest of that verse? Don't hold a grudge against one of my people. But instead, love your neighbor as yourself. The opposite 
of loving our neighbor as ourselves in Leviticus 19.18 is refusing to forgive. Why is it that we do not forgive? Well, Bill, I I, want to forgive, but they hurt me really, really bad. What they did was really, really wrong. I know, and I get that. Hence, forgive. If they hadn't hurt you, you would have no reason to forgive. There would be nothing to forgive. The whole assumption of the call and the command to forgive is that somebody has wronged you. If that were not the case, there would be no reason to forgive. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. But what kind of progress are you making? What kind of prayers are you offering for them and for yourself? And you say, Bill, I'd love to forgive, but I can't restore that relationship. That's okay. Those are two different questions. Forgiving someone is one thing. Restoring the relationship to where it was before, that's a whole nother deal. Sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes you can't do that between a husband and a wife. Sometimes you can't do that between two business partners. You can forgive. But who you make those to be, those choices, that's a choice you make. And that's a hard choice. When something someone does breaks that relationship, you can still forgive. And you might say, well, look, Bill, I don't want to forgive them because I don't want God to forgive them. Again, your forgiving them has nothing to do with whether God will or not. You say, I'm afraid they're getting off the hook light. Well, here's the thing. If you punish them instead of letting God do that, that's when they get off light. Isn't that what this scripture says? It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And then Paul quotes that great passage from Proverbs. And he says, look, just do good. Just overcome evil with good. Because in that way, you pour a bucket of hot coals on their head. And I want to pour a bucket of hot coals on their head. Literally, physically. I want to see them suffer the way they made me hurt and suffer. And what Paul says is, look, God's got, God's got this. And believe me, you being the guy that punishes them instead of God, they really do get off easy that way. Leave that to God. This is how Jesus could say from the cross, Father, forgive them in Luke 23. They don't know what they're doing. Why? Because Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We turn all that judging thing over to God. Our part, we forgive and we move on. And sometimes we need help to do that and sometimes we need time to do that and that's all okay. But we are called as Christians to forgive. On this Easter Sunday, 2021, let us commit to being a people who forgive. The world says repay evil for evil. The world says fight fire with fire. The cross says forgive. The way of Christ says forgive. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with good. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold because when you do, it ruins your life and it could lose your soul. So how is it possible to do this? How is it possible to overcome evil like this? It is only possible in Christ alone, as we sang just a few minutes ago. It is possible because of the empty tomb. It is possible because of the one who got out. That's the only way we can do the things that are talked about in Romans 12 and in the chapters that follow and in the rest of the New Testament. It's only because the tomb is empty that we can live this way. Because the things that happen to us in this world, they don't impact us like that empty tomb impacts us. That's the source of our joy. That's the source of our hope. And that's the source of how we live every single day. The empty tomb confirms that the victorious life is possible. That evil can be overcome with good. The empty tomb confirms that not only is it possible to overcome evil with good, it's already been done. On this Easter Sunday, 2021, let us be reminded that evil has already been overcome by the ultimate good of the cross of Christ and the empty tomb. And there is nothing, nothing that this world can throw at us that can take that away. And that's what we celebrate today. The difficulties we've gone through over the last 15 months, the difficulties we're still going through, they do not define us. They do not control our attitude and our conduct, and they do not determine our outlook and our future. They do not steal our joy, and they do not steal our hope, because that hope and that joy is based on an empty tomb and the one who got out. Our present conduct, our attitude, our outlook, our future are all determined by a Savior who shed his blood on the cross for our sins and by a tomb that is now and forever will be empty. I believe in the one they call Jesus. I believe he died on Mount Calvary. And I believe that the tomb was found empty. And I believe that he's the answer for me. On this Easter Sunday, 2021, let us commit to living a life that is good. On this Easter Sunday, 2021, let us commit to being a people who forgive On this Easter Sunday, 2021, let us commit that we will not be overcome by evil, but that we will rather overcome evil with good. And on this Easter Sunday, 2021, let us be reminded that evil has already been overcome by the ultimate good of the cross of Christ and the empty tomb. This morning, if we can help you come to that one who is King of kings and Lord of lords and lives today, come as we stand, sing together.